Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 187. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, what is going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? Thank you for joining us today. Before we get started, we have to thank today's sponsor, Hot Schedules. Since 1999, they've been laser-focused on giving restaurants the best tools to help us manage our people, improve productivity, and they do it all from a platform that fits your business. Visit go.hotschedules.com slash unstoppable to learn more. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mike Ganino. Mike, tell me... You're feeling unstoppable. I can't stop, won't stop, Eric. <laughs> yes, sir. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. So <laughs> let's just give the listeners a quick overview, then I'll pass it over to you. From washing dishes at a pizza joint to leading a $30 million restaurant brand, Mike Ganino has always been obsessed with culture, leadership, and helping his team find greatness. As a coach, speaker, and trainer, Mike teaches how to go from greatness by creating a work culture you love. Obviously, this is a huge aerial view of who you are and what you're all about. I'll let the listeners learn more about you, but first, I need to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Yeah, so I, I read a lot. So mine is from an author named Barbara Kingsolver. And uh, in called Animal Dreams, there's a quote that says, the very least you can do in your life is to figure out what you hope for and then live inside of that hope. And I just love that quote because I think so few people know what they really want, you know? Mm. And so I love it. That's, that's how I try to live every day. There's just so much fulfillment in that quote and just like living intentionally, living on purpose. I love it, dude. It, that's a great way to get this interview started. So I told the folks um, that you would teach us a little bit more about you. So tell us how you got into the industry and uh, give us like the, the play-by-play quick like snapshots of how you got to where you are today and what you're doing. Yeah. So it actually started when I was 15. I really, I lived with my grandparents and I really wanted to go to a Reba McIntyre concert of all things. <laughs> yes, sir. And, and my <laughs> grandpa awesome. being like this, you know, sturdy Midwest hardworking guy was like, sounds great, but you got to pay for it. And so I thought, well, I only get, make like 10 bucks a day in allowance. So, or 10 bucks a week in allowance. So it's going to take me like five years. I was like, do you do a, do you do a allowance, uh, pre, pre, pre loan kind of thing? <laughs> no, not going to happen. So I was like, well, I guess I got to get a job. And a friend of mine was working at Pizza Hut. And she said, oh, you should come work at Pizza Hut. And I was like, oh, so cool. She's a waitress and I could go make tips and everything. So I show up on my first day and they hand me this plastic apron. And I was like, well, why do I have a plastic apron? Uh, it clearly meant I was going to be doing dishes, <laughs> not waiting tables. But I started doing it and I, I made my way to Reba. I got to see the concert. It was pretty awesome, pretty epic and cool. And I thought, well, this this is cool. If I want things in my life, I can like go make some money and then get those things for myself. So I kept working and, and stayed with it. Awesome. Then eventually, um, you know, waited tables at nicer places in college, learned that uh, wine wasn't all pink and didn't all come in a box, <laughs> which I'd previously thought. And uh, eventually ended up in Chicago and working at this place called Potbelly Sandwich Works, which was this really small seven location uh, sandwich chain where they, you know, they, they heated up the sandwich and toasty bread and stuff. So I was there from seven locations to, uh, around 200. And I wow. opened up about 70 of those, which makes me either totally crazy or just like crazy in love with the industry <laughs> and I uh, traveled all around the country, had a really cool life and, and was there six and a half years and then moved on to let us entertain you where I worked with uh, rich Melman and, and that amazing organization and uh, eventually ended up at this place called Protein Bar that just had one location, but really big dreams about what it would be like when that place was great. So I came in as a partner there, and we went from that one location uh, with big dreams to 15 locations and a private equity relationship in three years. And uh, and I you know I did my job there, and it was time to move on. And I thought, ah, this is really fun. I like helping people. I like helping these little brands become bigger brands. Um, I've seen some people do it really well and other people 
make some mistakes that are avoidable if they just had some advice. And so I thought, well, maybe I could just help people with that. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm speaking and I work with uh, private clients as well. I do training events to help organizations really get specific about what they want and then put a plan in place to go grab that. Awesome, man. Great stuff. So if you could give us like a quick explanation of your why, your purpose, like what is it that drives you? What is it that, you know, makes you show up every day to do what you do? Yeah. So I came, you know, both sides of my family, I came from like really working class. I mean, both all my grandparents worked, you know, I have one one remaining grandmother and all of them worked all the way to the end. You know, it was like Mm -hmm. they weren't they weren't lying around in Malibu having having, you know, Aperol spritzes. They were they were working all the way till the end. And so I saw that work could be a good thing, work could be a bad thing, work could be a draining thing, but work could also be something that that added value to your life, that made you feel fulfilled, that made you feel like you were doing something awesome. And so somewhere early on when I was at Pizza Hut, I was like, this is cool. You can build these little teams, even within a big organization like Yum Foods at where Pizza Hut was, you know, owned by. Mm-hmm. Um, even in our little location, even on a single shift, you could do something really awesome if you if you wanted to. You could build a really great team. People could go home and you know, you go home and you see your spouse, you see your kids, you see your mom, you see your dad, you see whoever, and whatever happened to you at work, you bring that with you. Mm. I really don't believe there's this work life balance where you like turn off the work switch when you get home. It affects you. Absolutely, man. And it sounds like you just love bringing people together and you love helping people. I mean, just listening to you talk, it sounds like that's your driving force. Am I off by saying that? Yeah, no, my, my why, my purpose is really to say, I think that belief and mindset can really change the way our workplaces are. And the reality is we have to work. So many of us have to work. So why can't we build workplaces that add value to people's lives and that make everybody better? And I think if you do that, you're going to have a better brand in the long run anyway. Mm, awesome stuff, man. I can't wait for like some of the knowledge bombs you're going to drop on us. Uh, you just, <laughs> you're getting me pumped up right now. So let me ask, like, when did you know? Was there a transitional moment in your life? Can you bring us to the, the time when you said to yourself, this is more than washing dishes at Pizza Hut. This is more than, you know, a for now job, being a manager. Like, when did you make the commitment to making this your career? Yeah, I mean, I always had fun in it ever since I was, like, 15 and working at Pizza Hut. But it was really um, when I was at Pop Ellie. So I was, like, 21 years old. I was a, a new manager there. And I saw that my team, and I was working in a really busy location. We were training a bunch of the other new managers because we were getting ready to grow a lot. So there were people coming in, and they would train at my location because we had this very senior-level GM. And so she was really focused on training these new district managers and new corporate office people and new regional managers who were going to go out in the country and, and help us grow. And so our team was really left up to me to kind of say, hey, keep this team together, our, our you know, sandwich makers and cashiers and, and stuff. And I noticed that they were just feeling really, really kind of um, not involved because, you know, there's all these big wigs coming in and we're paying attention to them, but nobody's asking these. When you have seven locations, uh, there's a lot of stuff to still figure out. You're still mapping out exactly how you do everything. And so that was changing every day. And I saw that my frontline workers were feeling like, Nobody's even asking us. Nobody's even asking. We're here training all of these future leaders, and nobody's even asking us for our opinions on what might work better. But we're on the front line dealing with customers every day, yeah. and we have all that information. So I saw that, and I thought, ah, oh, we got to – and you see that start to, like, chip away at how they relate to each other, how they relate to this, how they relate to the brand. And it was like, no, oh, that's, that's affecting our morale, and that's eventually going to affect customer service. It's going to affect our sales at some point. So I thought, well, what can I do? And so I put together this little training. There was this movie with Lance Bass, like from NSYNC. This is <laughs> so there's this movie that he did called On the Line. And it took place in Chicago. And it was like he met some girl on, on the line, on the train, that he like fell in love with. And so I had just seen that movie, which is epically embarrassing to admit. <laughs> and so I thought, what if I, did it, what, what if I did an activity on the line? But it was like on the line in a restaurant and how that worked and how we could work together. So I put together this training for my team. And it just so happened that our district manager was there doing an interview for somebody and saw what I was doing on this like Sunday morning. And he's like, what are you doing? Why is all the staff here? And I was like, oh, we're doing training. And he's like, oh, okay. Sat down, was doing his interview and watch what we were doing and watch like how the team was interacting and how we were coming up with solutions for things that were like real business problems. We weren't just like playing training games. We were actually solving like real business issues. Like how do we keep this stocked? How would we do this? How would we do that? 
by using these activities, by using some games to come up with solutions. And so he came over and he said, hey, would you do this for my other my other stores? Would you be willing to help out? And I was like, <gasps> that moment I knew I was like, wait a second. I was this guy who like dropped out of college, who's from, you know, relatively, relatively lower maybe not even middle class, but just I, I was never going to be somebody who worked in a corporate office or did any of those things. I thought I'll forever be a restaurant manager. That was going to be my life. And But I had all these ideas. And so he came to me and said, hey, would you like to help out with some training? And I thought, wow, could this this could be a thing for me. Like I could maybe and, and immediately I started having big dreams. I always love going for greatness. So I had these big dreams of like, wow, maybe I could go into training. Maybe that could be my thing. I help train other managers how to do what I know how to do or how to do what I see other great managers doing, I could distill it, turn it into programs. And so I remember that day very specifically. Uh, it was, you know, in Chicago in Lincoln Park at this Potbelly Sandwich Works. And I remember thinking, huh, I've got to do something with this. This is an opportunity. I'm lucky to have this opportunity. And now I've got to turn this into something. And that was the moment I knew I'd be here forever. Wow, man, that's awesome. That's such a great aha moment. I love your passion, dude. I love how it's just coming out and how you didn't just settle for status quo, you I mean you saw that there was potential for improvement, and you didn't just get kind of like sucked into like the normal routine. Like you, you pushed the envelope, and I think that's one uh, characteristic that's really crucial is to not just settle for uh, the the normal way of doing things. To try to make things better, to find better ways to improve your business and to prove to improve training like you did. And I think that's uh, a cool it factor which kind of brings me to my next question <laughs> so what are your it factors mike your characteristics your your habits anything that you think contributes to your success yeah you know i was thinking about this because obviously i'm a huge fan of the show eric so i've been listening to the show and i was thinking okay he's going to ask me this question and how do i distill it so i started thinking about what is it that I get feedback about all the time? Like, what do people say? So whether I've, you know, in my career, I've been working with a restaurant or right now when I'm working with clients or I'm, I'm speaking and working with clients or doing training, what is it that I hear most often? And I think it's two things. Um, one is that I'm really intentional with my energy. Mm. And so you meet people sometimes and you could say like, oh, that guy's really energetic, but it's one of those people that you're like, pull the battery out now. He needs to chill out. Right? <laughs> so there's a way to be kind of chaotically energetic or like all over the place energetic where you're like, please, somebody make it stop. Stop winding this person up because we need a break. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's a way that you could be really intentional with your energy, that you could be really focused with it and say – I'm going to have this high level of energy. I'm going to be the person. And I learned this from Jim Sullivan, who's like, you know, big restaurant guru from, from a long time ago. And he said, be the, be the thermostat, not the thermometer. Because the thermometer just reads the temperature in the room. The thermostat changes it. Mm. And I've never forgotten that. And so I try to be really intentional with my energy, right? Does a situation need me to bring it up? Does it need me to bring it down? Do I need to get everyone excited? Do I need to get everyone to be thoughtful right now? Where do I need to take my team, my audience, my clients, and, and how do I get them there? And so I'm really thoughtful with my energy. Um, it's usually pretty high level. Uh, I usually have a lot of energy. I usually, you know, I'm really excited. <laughs> I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell, yeah. Mike. <laughs> uh, but, but I also know there are times where you need to sit down and you need to focus that energy on solving a business issue, on, on really digging in with a client right now and saying, hey, we need to get really honest about what's going on here so that we can turn your business around and get you going for greatness again. So I'm really intentional about my energy. And the second thing is that I really, really love solving problems. Like, even now, when a, when a company comes to me, when a restaurant comes to me and says, hey, um, we want help with our culture. That's what most often – that's what I talk about a lot is mm -hmm. how to build a great brand through your culture. Um, that's my, my upcoming book is called Culture Kitchen, Recipes for Building a Great Brand. So I'm often talking about culture, how to build that and why it's great and what it can do for you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I'll go in with a client and they'll say, oh, we need our culture fixed, which is like, okay, where do you even start? <laughs> so what I like to do is figure out what are the business issues you're seeing? Because your culture is not where you want it to be, because or, or somebody will say to me, "Oh, we're working on our culture," and it's like, "Well, your culture is existing. Whether whether you yeah. want to talk about it, or not, <laughs> it's happening every day. You could pretend it's not. You could <laughs> writing it down and working on it, but it is happening. You got two people in a room. There's a culture. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is say, let's get really, let's start solving problems here. Let's not just say we should have a culture because Disney has a culture and Danny Meyer's organization has a culture and Zingerman's has a culture. Like, uh, let's not have a culture for that reason. 
let's talk about our culture in a way that helps us solve for where we want to go and solve for the business issues we see today. Mm. And I just love that. I love getting really specific and say, what hurts? What hurts and how could we do something with that? And I think those two things, being really intentional with my energy and then really, really being focused on saying, how do we solve a very specific issue so we can get it done and move on to the next thing? I think those two things are are what I hear most often that people uh, like about me. So I guess those would be the it factors. Awesome. I I wrote down a couple more, too, just listening to you talk. Uh, You had touched quickly on just honesty. And I think uh, honesty is huge when you just get straight to it and you don't beat around the bush and you just, you know, you find those problems, those pain points, and then you're just saying, all right, let's have an honest moment. Uh, Let's, let's, you know, focus and tack, like put our energy towards these honest problems these pain points and solve it and I, I, that's so effective and i love your just intentional uh approach to life living intentionally doing everything on purpose and then just focusing that energy <laughs> that's so effective and so powerful great stuff so mike tell us about a time where one of these it factors whether it be your intentional energy or your, your problem solving capabilities just really shown through in an example yeah i mean so i've opened over a hundred restaurants in total, from Potbelly to Lettuce Entertain You, from Homemade Pizza Company to Protein Bar, I've opened over 100 restaurants. So you get a chance, whatever you've got, you get a chance to use it a lot during mm-hmm. openings. As you know, going through it recently, uh, everything and anything happens, and a lot of things that should happen don't happen. So you get a chance to really use whatever you've got if you want to during an opening, because it's like living in fast-paced uh you know, living and fast forward, I think. So for me, one of the most challenging times was at Protein Bar when we were first opening our um, our first location in D.C. So we only had – we didn't have a huge footprint yet. A lot of brands would wait until they had, you know, 10 or 20 locations, and they had a lot of things more buttoned up, a lot of their recipes down, whether organizational recipes in, like, the Zingerman sense mm-hmm. or actual culinary recipes. They would wait until they had a lot of that down, and they could say, here's the book, here's the binder, this is the way we do it, let's go open in a new market. Not us. We decided that the D.C. location was going to be our seventh location. Um, our first four locations in Chicago, none of them – looked the same or operated the same from the way that we actually produced food to the way that customers ordered to the way that we served customers food in the uh, when it was ready to serve they were all different they were entirely different so we didn't have a whole track record of like hey we have seven locations doing this every day at this kind of like great quip and we know exactly what to do we were still figuring it out Mm. and then we opened a restaurant in this whole other city which uh, had crazy high rents was a huge challenge And we were still figuring out our training program and all of that. So, uh, you know, why not jump into the deep end? So we opened our first location in D.C. And we opened, you know, weeks late because we were working with a new construction crew, new location. Um, It wasn't like a blank vanilla box that we were building in. We had to, like, go in and gut it and redo things, which was the first time we had had to do that. So the team was really feeling it. You know, we had all these people from Chicago go out there. I was still I was a chief operating officer then, so I'm still having to run the rest of the organization and looking at future locations because we were doing seven, and then right after number seven was going to be eight, nine, ten, eleven. So it was going fast, and so the team in D.C. was really falling apart. You know, they were it was, and and it was just because. It, There was a lot of uncertainty. What's going to happen next? What happens here? Who should do what? There wasn't a lot of stuff written down, so they're making it up as they go. So it was really like, wow, these guys really need a little a little love here. So I went out there, and it was it was you know it was a challenging time. And so if you go back to like what were my when we were talking about my it factors, we talked a lot about intentional energy, and then also really being specific, solving specific problems. And so I went out there and, and, you know, really helped pull that team back together. We had a huge opening, our largest opening, you know, of any of the sevens to date. Um, the group that did that went on to open several more stores together. The The initial thing was going to be like, nope, this is it. I'm done. This is so miserable and awful. I never want to do this again. That's how a lot of these trainers were feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the end, they all were like, this was really useful. I learned a lot. I was able to focus. And I think it's because I just realized as a leader um, I tried to stop saying, what do I need from this team? Like, what, is, what does this team need to give me? And this I really learned. I brought up Zingerman's a few times. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've known Ari and Maggie from Zingtrain for many, many years. I'm really good friends with Maggie. Um, and so I'm actually in one of Ari's books. He mentions me, which is kind of cool. Really? I felt like, 
Yeah, and the third book, the Managing Ourselves book. He talks I haven't about. gotten to that one yet. I, oh, it's so I, good, I Aaron. First two, I will. I oh, need so, to get that. So Sorry. good. So anyway, <laughs> so so I was like, I really thought about their approach to like servant leadership, and I was like, I could go to DC and I could say to this team, like, get your stuff together. Like, we've got a store to open. You accepted a job. Grow up and do your job. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, stop bickering about where this this is going to go and who didn't order that and who didn't order this. Like, shut up and do your work. Or I could – and this is all going to my mind as I'm on the plane. Or I could take the approach to say my job as a leader is to serve the organization. My job as a leader is to serve this group of people. What do they need from me? And I've done improv training for a really long time. I did like eight years of improv training with Second City and Improv Olympic. And there's something in that where you learn about – uh, your job on stage as an improv actor is to figure out what the other people on stage need from you and then give them that versus trying to go for the joke and trying to be the star. It's about how do we create something amazing as a team? So remember I landed in DC and I, I was on my way to the store and I just thought, I'm just going to walk in and I'm going to just figure out what does this group of people need most from me versus what did I need from them to get the store open? And I think that that shift early on for me uh, I'd never been a COO before. I'd never been a chief operating officer. At some point in my life, I thought I was forever going to be a single unit manager. So I wasn't like prepared for this. I had to teach myself how to do this. So, uh, Mike, would you say the problem was with the culture or do you think the problem that you solved was with you and that switch of becoming a servant leader, becoming the person that puts themselves at the bottom of or the top of the pyramid but then flips it upside down and takes care of everyone above them? Is that is that like a the the problem that you had or that you solved i think i think it was two things i think in that moment i really shifted the way i led i'd always been kind of a consensus leader i'd always said how does everyone feel what do we need to do together but i i was still kind of directive a lot of the time you know i was still Mm -hmm. very much like hey this is i've been charged by you know by the ceo or by the board to get this done and this is where we need to go let's get it done you do this you do this and i think that day i switched to saying wow the organization needs me to help usher us towards this point and i have to do that with this group of people so i need to figure out a better way to get this group of people to help go there so i'm not always having to be in charge these are smart people who care a lot who are traveling giving up time with their family they clearly care so let's give them some of this and let them figure out how to solve this um let me guide them let me teach them and i really looked at and said my job as a leader is to help create more leaders not to tell everyone what to do so that shifted and then i think in that in that specific incident at that store um we just hadn't set up a really good job of like how do people work together Mm -hmm. and so i think in addition to me having that like epiphany on that flight to dc i think that it also shifted the way that we had meetings in the future the way we did projects in the future it all changed because i realized these guys were all really loyal to me they would do anything for me they some of them had worked with me at potbelly at homemade several companies so what i realized is like oh i need to create that same feeling they'll have for each other. Awesome. I need to help them feel that same way. And so uh, it was cool. It was a good day. <laughs> awesome, man. Great stuff. You're giving us gold. Uh, we have to move on to the next question, and that is just on your failure. Uh, I mean, we learn often the most from our failure. So share time with us, Mike, where you just fell hard on your fanny with a huge failure. And tell us what you learned. And then tell us, you know, like, you know, how you're different because of it now. I think, I think as far as a failure, the biggest thing that I probably learned and, and and got up from and said, this is going to change the way I do everything in the future was at Potbelly. I had, you know, I started seven locations. I was there till like 200. I was opening, you know, two locations a month, traveling on the road. I was being asked by, you know, regional directors, by the, the founder, the CEO to, to do a training session on this. So I was kind of the poster child in some ways, which just sounds really weird to say, but in some ways I was a poster child for like, this is what we want people in the organization to be like. You know, I was really positive. I love customer service. I was da 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 And so I was, I was probably at one point feeling really good about myself, right? I'm like traveling around. People are asking me to come into their locations, come into their districts, um, and, and lead a training or help shape their team. They're asking me for my opinion on, like, service issues and stuff. Man, so, I'm the shit. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was like, yeah, this is amazing. And I remember one time this person I really respected, um, Jenna Shannon. She, I really, really respected her. She's this amazing powerhouse leader. And I've always loved, like, I've always loved, like, a female leader who was just strong and awesome. And, and I just loved her. And... I let it get to my head and she asked me to do something for her one day. Um, 
because she was busy. She's running around running like 80 restaurants. And so she asked me to do something that was like, I just thought like, well, I'm not supposed to do that. And I just barked back at her in this really crappy way because I was like, I'm the king of the world, you know? <laughs> and so this person who I respected so much, who had, had like a 20 career, a 20 year career at Let Us Entertain You, she was like one of the first, if not the first like female um, um, partner at Lettuce just amazing person and i just thought she was genius and loved her and i responded to her in this really crappy way because i felt like i'm so you know i don't do that anymore <laughs> do you know who you're and talking I, to i exactly that <laughs> remember what's great now she's a really good friend i just met with her in chicago a couple weeks ago we had drinks and we've mended it all um but i remember in that moment i did that and then later that day she brought me in her office she's like what happened she was like that was just kind of like yucky <laughs> and i remember seeing that on her face and being like oh my god this person who in so many ways is like my hero and someone I look up to, I just totally treated. And I'm like 24 at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like so young and stupid. And uh, and I remember thinking that and I was like, wow, this is not good. And so we worked together two more years there and I we turned it around. We ended up having this amazing relationship. And and I and I realized right then I was like, I have to I I didn't have enough. Thankfully, I'd had enough in the like emotional bank account. That when I took that withdrawal from being a total jerk, um, it didn't empty the bank account. We still had a little money in there and we could work with it. Mm-hmm. So that's like my advice to anybody is like be really, really thoughtful with how you treat people because you're going to do something wrong at some point And you need there to be enough money in that emotional bank account that you can make up for it. Awesome. Because if we hadn't had that relationship and I just barked at this like, you know, regional vice president, it probably wouldn't have been very good for my career. But thankfully, I had done enough to invest with her that she was like, OK, something's up. And, uh, and it was a good lesson for me to, like, calm down, dude. Like, the reason you got here is because of having this great energy and being a problem solver for people. Don't stop doing that stuff. Mm. That's what got you here. Awesome, dude. Great stuff. We're, like, just crushing this interview. Like, you got me so jazzed right now. I can't wait for the second half of this interview where you just <laughs> drop some bombs of knowledge on us. But before we get there, we need to just pause for a second to thank our sponsors. Look out, because Hot Schedules has some new tools that will make you and your restaurants unstoppable. We are all aware that this is a dollar and cents business. What's hard these days is making sense of your data so that you can find an extra nickel on every napkin or another dime on every dessert. Hot Schedules Reveal is going to solve that. The new mobile app is pretty much an operator's dream. Imagine an app that can tell you what your sales are for that day part or that the weather is showing rain and sales are trending low. You could anticipate a change in labor and message your employees before they come in. If you want to learn more about how to get your restaurant's data in your pocket in real time using Hot Schedules Reveal, get a demo or talk about pricing, go to go.hotschedules.com slash unstoppable that's go.hotschedules.com slash unstoppable one more time go.hotschedules.com slash unstoppable we are ready to drop some bombs of knowledge now we're back and the first question i have for you in this speed round is uh you just how do we get that initial capital uh, to get started? You've worked with so many people. Like, what have they done? Like, what do you see works in just uh, getting that initial startup capital? Yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky that I've worked with like really well-funded groups most of the time. But I, but I've been around people who have gone off to start their own thing. And I think uh, two pieces of advice I would have is be really honest about the possibilities. I think far too many people try to make the numbers work instead of working with the numbers. So instead of saying like, "Hey, it's realistic that I'm going to get two turns here tonight," and is that going to pay the rent? It's like it's not. So they say, "Well, the rent's this much money, so I'm just going to pretend that there's going to be enough people." And it's like that doesn't work, and you're going to end up one of these horrible statistics of like not making it past your third year. So I think be really honest about the possibilities. Don't try to make the numbers work. Work with the numbers you have. And then I also think be really, really clear with your vision about what you're trying to create. Like go so deep into those details that when you are talking to a possible investor, you're talking to a bank, you're talking to family members, you're thinking of doing a Kickstarter, all of those are good options. But they're good options for very specific people mm-hmm. because it's going to change the way you run your restaurant. So get really specific about do you want to have a group of people who want to be invested? Like if you're going to go ask five people for some money, be really clear with them of like I want your money and I want you to shut up and get away. Or I want your money, but I also want you to kind of be an advisor to me. So let's create an advisory thing. Or I'm going to go to a bank and, and 
I'm going to be realistic about what those payments are going to look like. So I just think be really honest about your numbers and then start with the vision of what you're trying to create so that you don't end up unhappy five years down the line when you have people who think that they should have input and you think they shouldn't. Be honest about that from the beginning. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying be clear not only with the vision but the roles within the vision of who does what and where the lines are being drawn, uh, which totally. I think is really important because sometimes you know you have to have some skin in the game. And if you have everybody or this one person giving you all the money and then you have this vision, well, guess what? It's not your money, so you're going to lose that foothold and your, your vision won't you know, come true. So you have to be really clear with that from the beginning and make sure everyone's on board. And that's something that's probably not brought up enough on the show. So I really, I'm happy you went there. Awesome. Um, Great stuff. And real quick question about the numbers. Uh, You said be honest with the numbers, be real with the numbers. How do we know to get the right number? Where do we go to get a realistic prediction of the, the numbers? Yeah, I mean, that's where it's like you got to go. I So many restaurants, um, I see this changing a lot, and it's certainly changing in urban areas a lot more. But restaurant people for so long are so, like, private, and it's like, oh, if I share my information, the guy across the street's somehow going to recreate it. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not true. It's really hard to do what we do. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as easy as, like, oh, you have tacos, and they're $8, and you have a 1,000 customers, so I'm going to recreate that. It's like, if that's possible, Quiznos uh, would be Subway and um, – you know, everyone would be able to be Chipotle. It's just mm-hmm. not that easy. So I, I'm I'm of the mindset of like try to network, meet other restaurant people, go Absolutely. to places where they go, and find out what's going on. And so if you know you're going to open in this area, uh, look at the foot traffic. Go in, sit in a restaurant for a while, and count. You know, there were times where we would be thinking about opening. You know, in the in the quick service world, opening a place nearby. And so it's all about foot traffic at lunch. So we would go in and we would literally sit, order some lunch, and then like on a little piece of paper, just tally mark how many people came through in an hour and then saying okay so at an hour at an eight dollar check average was that enough people that we would be able to make this work and if not then then we need to do something else because this might not be the place yeah absolutely and one thing i've learned just from talking from to so many successful people is successful people give the reason yeah. one of the reasons why they're there is because they're so good to other people over time other people are good back to them And if you go and you approach a a restaurant in your community where you want to open and you say, hey, I want to open a restaurant, um, odds are they're going to be willing to help you. Not everyone's going to be so giving, but if you just ask around, you'll find the help you need. So great, great advice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So the next question I have for you is on topic of hiring. What questions should you be asking? What should you be looking for? We all know that finding the the right people um, is not easy. It's totally possible but it's not easy. So what advice do you have there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things. One is that most good people are probably being good people in someone else's shop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to go around. You need to know what's what's the talent market like. That's why people pay, you know, for, for managers and executives. That's why they pay recruiters is because recruiters are spending their time knowing who the talent is. Mm-hmm. Who are the good people? Where are they at? How are they happy? How are they being treated? So at your local level, you know, in your town, in your street, in your restaurant area – it's know who's working at the other shops. You've got to go into the other shops. You've got to go try a coffee somewhere. You've got to go order a pizza somewhere else and start to know, like, wow, they've got a really good team over there. Mm. You know, if you hear the guy down the street's killing it, uh, it's got to be partially because of his team. So go figure out what he's doing. Figure out where are those people coming from and figure out why might that person be interested in leaving. Because, again, if you have a great employee, you're probably treating them – hopefully you're treating them at least good – and they're probably not out hunting for jobs all the time. So if you're sitting there waiting for people to come in with applications, you're waiting for like usually not the best of the best to come in, right? Absolutely. So, so I think go out there and be really specific about who you're looking for and go find them. Go hunt them down. Go get them. Go make relationships with them, and, and they'll come in. And then I think the second thing is that we so often get really caught up, and I see this a lot with people who work with recruiting firms or HR firms. They give them this list of questions they're supposed to ask. And they ask the questions, and they ask somebody something really deep, right? Tell me about a time when you saved a child from falling into a well. <laughs> and, and the person says, like, oh, yeah, I saw the baby fall in the well, and I went over, and I just grabbed the baby and took her out, and it was really great. And then they move on to the next question. And it's like, wait a second. Like, well, how did you know to help the baby? And, like, <laughs> what happened inside of you that you thought, like, this is the moment? So if you apply that to customer service, we do things like, tell me about a time you gave great customer service. And it's like, well, one time this lady came in, and I helped her to her car, and blah, blah, blah. And then we move on to the next question. It's like, no, go into that. How did you do that? How did it, why did you think that was important? What did you do? Because that's what you're hiring. Yeah, that's where the gold is. You got to peel back those layers and really get after it. 
for sure. You're hiring how that person thinks, how that person makes decisions, how that person on the spur of the moment decides I'm going to do something or I'm not. So that's much happening right there. Absolutely. I so that, that's my advice. Have questions ready, but then like go off script and dig deep. Now, Mike, you had mentioned uh, to prepare for this interview, I listened to your interview with Bruce uh, of the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast. Uh, it's another great podcast out there. Help Bruce out. Listen to his podcast. They're coming out from all over the place. Podcasts are awesome for learning. So <laughs> a little plug there for Bruce. Uh, but uh, you, you mentioned quickly uh, you know, the technique you should use to talk to somebody when you're trying to recruit them at another restaurant. So how would you approach that when you go in? Like, Do you say, hey, I work down the street. Come work for me? Or I mean, is there a way to be subtle and respectful about it? Um, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, totally. That's like very forward. That's like the, I don't know. That's like the 17 year old boy version, right? Hey, I'm coming in. Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> um, and you maybe want to be a little more seductive than that. And so I think everybody loves to be flattered, right? Yeah. Everybody loves to be flattered and people are looking for, you know, if you came into me and I was working in a, in a shop and you came in and said, Hey, like, Hey, Eric, you know, I come in here all the time. I don't know if you recognize me. I come in and I grab uh, I grab lunch all the time, and I actually own a shop down the street where we serve blah, blah, blah. And, I, you know, so I know good people when I see them, and I love the way that you work with customers. You just have this awesome thing about you. And so, you know, if you're ever looking for more hours or if you have any friends like you who, who would love to work on an awesome team that's doing killer stuff, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to stay in touch. And then remember that that's not it. Like a lot of people do that, and then the person doesn't call them, and they're like, well, it didn't work. It's like, that's, that's how you make a relationship. That's not what you would do if you were dating, right? You wouldn't be like, I called her once and she never called back. It's like, well, yeah, come on, get back on the course here. Be like, if you really want that. So it's going back in and being like, hey, good to see you again. And, and so if it's worth it, right, if it's, if it's your business and you want to have a great business, you want to go for greatness, then you've got to do some work to get the great people on the team. And that includes going out into your local area. You should know all the people working in the shops. You should know all the other managers. Um, and that's what I would do. I mean, flattery gets you a long way. And, you know, the other thing that's worth pointing out too, that initial um, foundation of greatness. I mean, greatness attracts greatness. So if you get great people and you get that initial just like team of greatness, it's going to be a lot easier after that to attract more greatness. But it's worth putting that effort in. It's like you said, like getting that girl. You know, like she's a great girl and she's not going to be easy to get but once you get her, you're going to be so happy, and there's just going to be so much greatness around that relationship. And uh, hopefully, just that one. Don't go out and get a bunch of great girls. It's not good. But uh, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Uh, anyway, moving on. That was great stuff. Thank you, Mike. Um, let's talk about culture. I mean, once you get these great people, and we're kind of talking about it now, like how do you keep them on your team? Like how, like you know, employee reten- retention is such an, a struggle. So yeah. what do you have to do just to? to increase your odds of having longevity with your, your team members. Yeah. I think it's a few things. I think it's really the job of the leader. So often as a manager, whether you're running a shift, right. And this is not about like the owner. That's what I hear a lot is like, Oh, well the owner, so I can't do it even though I'm a shift manager. And it's like, but you're still in charge of that shift. You're in charge of the energy on that shift. You're in charge of how you work together. You're in charge of how you celebrate little wins. You're in charge of how you like thank each other. That still is up to you. Even if you're making 11 bucks an hour as a frontline manager, you can still make that shift that you run a great shift. You can make the line that you run a great line. And so I think the job of a leader, whether uh, a leader of a shift of a line or the leader of the entire organization, the job of the leader is not to manage everyone and tell everyone what to do. The job of the leader is to create and sustain an environment where the team can do great work. Mm. And it sounds so simple, but it's such a pivotal shift for most people is to say, me as a manager, my job is not the products we have, even the service we give. My job is the quality of the way this team works together because if this team is working together if they're killing it if they feel safe to be innovative and creative if they feel safe to do whatever they have to do to make customers happy then you're not going to have to worry about all of the rules and things the rest of the time because you've created a place where those people care about greatness they understand what greatness looks like and they can go take a shot at it and that's what i think a leader's job is yeah i just want to put emphasis on that last line they understand what greatness looks like so often we just plug people into these systems and we say go do a good job but you don't paint that clear picture of what a good job looks like so how can you expect them to do that job and that's where the role of manager or owner comes in your job is to literally paint the picture give the tools provide the systems the systems the processes so they can do the job you expect and that's what i'm, I'm hearing you say 
Yeah, and it's it's also one of those things of like getting, you know, I was working with a client the other day, and we're working on some of their like um, hiring stuff. When they hire people, what are they looking for in this, and how they explain it? And they said, oh, we want hardworking people, and they thought like that was a period. Like there's a period at the end of that sentence, and I said, oh no no no, what does that look like to you? And they're like, well, everyone knows what hardworking looks like, and I was like, okay, hold on. So I brought over a few employees, and I said, tell me what you think hardworking looks like. Employee one, employee two, employee three. There were three different answers. You know, yeah. one person hardworking was about being really thoughtful and really thinking through the work so you could do it once and get it done well. The other person meant running around and sweating your butt off to get it done. And so it was like, that's why you've got to define what that means to you, mm-hmm. because then you'll have a shot of actually giving it to you. I love it, man. Awesome stuff. Um, so let's talk about some struggles. This is a new question I'm working into the interview. We've talked about a failure, but what are you currently seeing people struggle with? Or what's coming up on the horizon um, in the industry that you think is really just going to give us a one-two punch? And like, what is your advice for dealing with that upcoming struggle? Yeah, I think that we're seeing a lot of these cool new brands coming up that are being run by, you know, younger, younger folks. So it's like Sweet Green is this really awesome place coming out of D.C. with locations all over. And it's super cool, super hip. And so we're reading about all these cool ways they're doing things and everyone's excited about that. It's very uh, millennially focused. The millennials are going to like love working there and stuff. But there's still a significant amount of old school leaders out there. Mm. There's still a large part of these uh, even general managers, district managers, regional managers, directors of operations, uh, people running the entire organization who are still coming from an old school perspective of show up, do your job, don't complain and go home. And guess what? That is not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's just not. And so what I'm hearing a lot when I go to work with clients is like, hey, and it's like somehow can I become the millennial whisperer for everybody? Right? <laughs> Let me whisper things in their ears and they'll come to work. And it's like what's great about this this challenge of like creating a workplace where you have millennials and and Gen Xers and baby boomers and pretty soon like Generation Z or whatever we're calling the next group of people um, it's a really interesting challenge to say there are four generations in the workplace, and that's never happened in history. And so how do you design it? I think you design a workplace for all of those by, by doing what the people in that millennial group are looking for. Because what they're looking for is, is pretty easy. They want to do work that matters. They want to feel like they have some say in how stuff gets done and because they have ideas. They're creative. They've seen the world. Um, information is no longer only earned by wisdom. You know, by doing it and doing it, you can go get information very easily online. You can read books. And so these people are able to get answers and come in and say, hey, I have ideas. You know, these younger workers can come in and say, I have ideas. I learned something. I thought we should try this. And if you're old school and shutting them down, it's just not going to work. You know, there's so much there, though, because the industry's technology is changing so fast. There's so many tools and resources that these younger people just use day in and day out that if you are old school, if you've been around the block a few times, like you're so consumed with your ways of doing things. You're missing out on all these amazing opportunities. I mean, there's yeah. some sharp kids out there with really great adv- like tools and resources that are right underneath your nose that they can teach you. You don't even have to go outsource a professional to come in. Like you literally have all the tools right there. Yeah, that's great advice. It's really awesome stuff. And man, I think you should really coin that millennial whisper uh, <laughs> tagline. I'm Maybe a millennial man. You're whispering sweet nothings to me right now. This is all great stuff. You should just run with that. Uh, Uh, All right. So the next question I have for you is what is one restaurant book? And I have a feeling one is going to be hard for you. So if you have two or three, lay them on us uh, that you think are just must reads to get you in that, that mentality, that mind frame. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, so I'm writing, I'm writing my book right now, uh, culture kitchen recipes for building a great brand, because I didn't think there was anywhere where you could go and get a book and go like, I'm going to go A to Z and learn What's the best ideas about staffing? What's the best ideas about um, leading? What's the best ideas about culture? What's the best idea about branding? So I'm putting that together as like a little bit more of like an A to Z thing because there's a lot of great books out there and they and some of them are from a high level and this and that. I actually do have one answer for you though. I'm going to surprise you. Ooh, go hit us. The best book that I think someone in the restaurant industry should read is the third book in Ari Weinzweig's um, series from Zingerman's called Managing Ourselves. Mm. I think at the end of the day, whether you're going to be, whether you're a host, whether you're a frontline leader, whether you're a general manager, an area manager, a director, or you run the whole organization, the place to start 
is not in figuring out how to manage everyone else. It's figuring out how to manage ourselves. And so in Ari's third book, Managing Ourselves, um, it really gets specific about how you can come to work as a leader, uh, whether a big L leader, meaning and a big L leader, I learned this from Disney, a big L leader is like a leader where your job is to lead. And a little L leader is where you just lead through influence because people like you and want to listen to you. So uh, that book, Managing Ourselves by Ari Weinzweig, is uh, the number one book I recommend to everyone. Yeah, and Ari, I mean, his series of books are awesome. They're so, so easy to get through because it's not like a book where you have to read from, like, the start. They're little essays. So you can literally sit down and in, like, a couple minutes just absorb an essay and be a little bit better. And with every essay, you're just a little bit better, and they're so painless to get through. Uh, Awesome stuff. And Ari is one guy that's totally worth listening to. I'm telling you, I flew out a year and a half ago to Boulder, Colorado um, at the Chef's Collaborative Summit, and uh, I I was sleeping in a hammock in the mountains to be able to go to this (laughs) thing, just to to meet incredible people. And Ari was one of the biggest reasons why I want to get out there, because of his influence. And he knows his stuff, so definitely pick up his books. Totally worth. He's like, he's like my, uh, he's like my Yoda. He's like my. <laughs> he's just so amazing. Totally humble dude, too. Like yeah. you would never know uh, the success he's had uh, if you were to talk to him. So great stuff. Uh, and I mean, you had mentioned some other books too. Um, or was I just thinking of those books when you were talking? Because it reminded me. Uh, one book I'm going to recommend because of listening to you um, and your emphasis on uh, feeding those higher needs. And I, I plug this book all the time is Peak by Chip Connolly. Uh, yeah. Just because of what you were saying about feeding into those higher needs of millennials. And it's not enough just to give them a paycheck. But um, just listening to you talk, I, I, if you want to learn more about tapping into those higher needs, you have. And I, I swear to God, I don't work for Chip Connolly. I, I plug his book all the time. <laughs> but it's a great book. So both of those those people are, are totally worth surrounding yourself with through their content. Awesome stuff. And I'm realizing we're probably going to go a little late. Um, is that okay with you? Yeah. Yeah, right, I'm good. I just wanted to make no. sure because uh, you're dropping gold on us and I don't want to stop you. <laughs> all right. So... <laughs> Let's talk about technology because, I mean, it's no secret that, you know, with technology, uh, they can be just accelerators of processes and, and systems and just you can just close the gaps with technology and just be so much more productive. So what's out there? I mean, what are you seeing people use or what are they plugging into their restaurants to be more proficient, to, to be more productive, to be more profitable? I mean, is there anything you're recommending to people? Yeah, I mean, there's there's things like on the restaurant side of it. It's like if you aren't in the online ordering game, I don't understand why. I talk to clients all the time, and I, I work with I work with uh, I'm a I'm an advisor to a online ordering and mobile app company for restaurants called Chow Now, and I talk to people all the time. I do talks for them, and I, I work with them on how you know product issues and things like that what restaurants want. And I just, I talk to restaurants sometimes and I just don't understand the pushback of like not having online ordering. It's so simple these days. It's just a huge value add for your customer. If you think, if you get out of your own head for the restaurant and you just think of what do my customers want? Customers clearly want online ordering. They're clearly comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. We, you know, there's Amazon, Zappos. There's entire things that exist only in the online world. So I just I don't understand people who aren't doing it. And the people who I talk to who are doing online ordering and who have tried it are just amazed at how much more efficient it makes them. You don't have to have five or six people answering the phone at all times to get those same orders. You don't have the thing of like somebody calling in and missing an order and this and that. So online ordering, number one, is what I see restaurants that are killing it. They're doing a great job with that. Number two is restaurants that are, whether they're using some like really lo-fi kind of analogish version of like Google Docs to track their numbers, or they're using something from their POS app, um, Micros and all of those, Revention, all those guys doing uh, POS stuff have apps you can do. But people that are looking at their numbers daily, frequently, and really trying to understand what's going on in my business, what are the trends, as a leader, that's part of your job is to really look at what's happening, what might happen next, how can we get ready for that? How do I get the team prepared to handle what's coming up? And so I think if you're not looking at your information, you're not tracking your your numbers, you're not looking at trends, um, you're just in a huge hole. And I see that a lot, Eric. You'd be mm. surprised at the amount of restaurant owners who don't know their numbers. Mm, absolutely. I mean, are there any resources that you're seeing people really leveraging? I mean, you had mentioned Google Docs or Google, is it Google Analytics that you're – no, so yeah, Google, Google Docs. So they're using Google Docs to like track their information, or they're using their POS apps. Your POS company, whether you're using one of the newer 
newer ones like Square or Toast or Breadcrumb, or you're using one of the the more legacy companies like Micros or Aloha, they've got that information for you. So figure out what's meaningful. What are the five or six numbers that really do uh, drive your business? And then look at those with frequency that you can do something about them. Because what happens so often, I see this all the time when I go to work with, with clients, is they don't look at anything until the end of the month or the end of the quarter, and then they freak out. And it's like, that's such old history now. Yeah. That's months ago I mean, versus looking at daily. Yeah, and there's there's software now that exists that are built solely just to collect data. I think everybody has data today, but it's just a, a few select amount of people who are actually using it, um, which is right. You know, the mind boggler. Like you said, it's right there. I mean, we have such a foot up; all the information is there to use to pay attention to. So it's huge. Yeah. Um, all right. The next question I have for you is: What is your best business advice? If you could like go back in time and just drop one bomb of knowledge on yourself. Be like, hey, old past Mike, uh, this is one thing that if you could have done differently, you know, w- when you were, like, I guess getting started with, uh, was it Potbellies? Yeah. Like, what would you do? Like, what advice would you say to yourself? I think the number one thing I've learned over the years is that by being really specific, being really clear about what you want, what you want to achieve, where at some point in the future, if you look at the year 2020, what does that look like? Describe that in such detail that there you'll know what that looks like. I wish that I had thought of that and done that earlier. Single thing that I've put down and said, uh, whether it was a restaurant goal, whether it was a store opening number, whether it was a, an award we wanted to achieve, everything that I've gone into the future, been really specific, really thoughtful, and really clear about what we want. The team has almost always figured out a way to achieve it. Yeah, And so I wish earlier in my career I had started doing that, like in the potbelly days of saying, hey, guys, so I know we're here today. Let me tell you what I think the future looks like. Let me describe this world that I've seen to you. And what do you think we need to do to get there? Because like I said earlier, uh, these folks are on the front line. They've got the answers. They know the stuff. So just point them in the direction and let them help you get there. I wish I had known that at 21. Yeah, and uh, just to just talk about Ari again, his first book, Building a Great Business, is such an incredible resource to, to, to learn more about the powering of visioning and how that can have an impact on your business. And really, the way I think about it is when you vision, you are showing everybody where you're going, and then you can all pull in the same direction. Just think about how much power is there when everyone's pulling, working together for the same purpose, the same mission, the same goals to get to the same place, their vision. Um, it's so powerful. So absolutely love it's, it, dude. It's, it's clear. I'm, I'm listening to myself and I've actually listened to myself, whether on stage, giving a, giving a keynote or leading a workshop or writing an article, there's this very strong, uh, Zingerman's DNA. I've never worked, with them, <laughs> but I've had a relationship with them for like 10 years or 11 years. Well, you, you look <laughs> what they've done, DNA. man. It's hard to not get excited into it. Ari literally has handed over everything he's done in his mindset and what he thinks has made them successful. So why wouldn't you get excited over that? I don't blame you. Why dude. wouldn't you? <laughs> All right. So <laughs> what is one question I could have asked you, Mike, that you think would have brought more value to this interview? Um, I think the the one question, so we talked about numbers, we talked about tracking things, but I think the one thing we didn't talk about is what is the one surprising number that every restaurateur should be tracking? So what is the one surprising number, Mike, that restaurateurs should be tracking? I think every, every day on every shift, there should be some way to, whether it's when employees clock out or however you want to do it, where they rate up how that shift was, how happy they were, how positive they were, and how great they thought the environment was that day on a scale of 1 to 10 and track that every day. Because I think what you'll find is that when you start to see that to dip to 7 to 6, and we did this for a little bit at Protein Bar as a test at, at a location and loved it, but when you start to see that slip down into 7 or 6s, guess what happens next? you start to see missed shifts. Mm. When you start to see missed shifts, guess what happens next? People quit because it sucks to work there because it's hard because there's not enough people. Guess what happens next? Customers don't get great service. When customers don't get great service, guess what happens next? They you stop coming money. in. They <laughs> money. So all of that links back to how happy and how positive your employees felt every shift was. So I think that every every timekeeping POS vendor out there should add this, that when somebody clocks out, it says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how awesome, how positive, how happy was your shift today? Because I think it'll be shocking how you can get ahead of the sales. Because once the sales are down, 
that's that's three months too late. Yeah. You could have fixed it three months ago. And I think there's an incredible link there, and I think we're missing it. No, for sure. And the one thing that keeps coming to mind, and something that I've thought about before, is debriefing. And like we put so much emphasis in this business about the pre-mail, the you know the briefing beforehand, where we're going, what we're going to do, the the VIPs that are going to be there, how can we deliver the best service? But we don't debrief. Yep. And that's so important and to find out what happened, to find out, like you say, just the morale, uh, the problems, to, to address those things right away. And I'm totally on board with what you're saying. It's so important. And it, the easiest way, so if you're out there and you're a shift manager, if you're a general manager, whatever whatever your level, the easiest way to do that, if, if you're a, a host, if you're a bartender and you just want to have better shifts, you want to work better with your team, the easiest way to have that conversation is at the end of the day with one other person you talk about, hey, what did you like best about today? What do you want to do differently next time? And I learned, again, I learned that from Maggie from Zing Train. I learned that from Maggie Bayless. Um, what did you like best and what do you want to do different next time? I call that LBNT. And it's how I teach frontline managers to give feedback because everyone's so scared of giving feedback. It's very nerve wracking for people. It's how I teach people. I would, I would pull up to you, Eric, and I'd say, hey, Eric, it's the end of your shift. Let's chat really quick. What did you like best about the shift and your performance on it? And you would say your thing. And then I would say, you know what? Here's what I liked best about what you did today. I'd love to see you keep doing that because it was awesome. And then I would say, what do you want to do different next time, Eric? And you would say your thing. And then I would say, you know what? I think you would be even more effective next time if you did X, Y, and Z. It's the easiest, most effective way to do exactly what you just said. I love it, man. You are, you have been so, so, so incredibly valuable. This has been an <laughs> awesome interview. It went a little bit long, but it was totally worth it. And I hate cutting people off. So I just decided, you know what? When things go along and they're providing value, just let them run. And I'm happy that I did because, it, I mean, it, you've been so great. Awesome. So, Thanks. We've got to wrap up the episode. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one indie restaurant professional? And, you know, you've touched so many lives and you've been all over the place. So if you have more than one, I don't I won't hold you back. Um, somebody you admire in this industry uh, just that would make a great guest mentor on the show like you have for us today. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three, and they're different categories. So if you want someone who's, like, coming from the expert space who's worked with restaurants, she's just genius, genius, genius. She's working with all the top people right now. She has a company called Restaurant HR Group, and her name is Carrie Luxum. And she is, like, just – she's killer. She's a firecracker. She's amazing. And she's just so helpful to so many restaurant groups. Every time I meet somebody who needs HR or people help – I send them to her, and she's killing it. So Carrie Luxon would be amazing and super helpful. Um, Rick Bayless, who is just an icon, obviously. He's at that icon status. He has a killer culture in his organization. People love working there. He's doing all the right stuff with his team to get engagement and to get them to really own what they do. So I think he would have amazing things to say about how to build a really great culture. And then the other one is my really good buddy, Catherine Ann. So Catherine Ann actually is a chocolate. Uh, she makes chocolate. She has a shop. But they also have sandwiches and soups and hot cocoa and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And she has done it from the ground up. She used to be a trainer for me, and she's created this amazing little empire in Chicago, and she would be a great, great person to have on. Carrie Luxem, Rick Bayless, Catherine, and look out. I'm coming after all three of you. And, uh, yeah, definitely I, those first and last names are new to me. I'm excited. Thank you for sharing. Rick Bayless has been on my hit list since the very beginning. <laughs> so, Rick, if you're listening to this, I'm probably going to send it to your people. <laughs> We're yeah. going to try to get you on the show. I'd be honored and pumped. I'd be honored to get all three of those folks on the show. Thank you so much, of uh, Mike, for those recommendations. And let the folks at home know how we can connect. Um, like Email or Twitter handle or website. This is your time just to let people you know, continue the conversation. Yeah, so two things. I'm, I'm really easy to find everywhere. I'm just Mike Ganino, M-I-K-E-G-A-N-I-N-O. That's my website. That's my Twitter. That's my Instagram. That's my everything. And the other thing, if you are driving or you're listening and you're in a hurry, if you just go to Mike, M-I-K-E dot tips, like I have some tips for you, Mike dot tips. <laughs> um, I've got some a little a little sheet you can download to get you started with training, some things I've learned from, from Zingerman's and other places that I've put into place to help you get started with getting your training and your culture right. And then uh, we'll stay in touch that way. Uh, you can email me on my website. And uh, if, you, if you want some help going for greatness, let's talk because this is fun stuff. Man, speaking of greatness, dude, you are awesome. You've been so, so valuable. Your advice has been so actionable. Dude, bro, homie, like <laughs> you are unstoppable. 
Thank you. Man, I love doing these interviews. I, I get to talk to these amazing people. Then I get to edit the shows and just listen to it again. And it gets me so just energized and motivated and just, man, if you check your pulse right now, if, if it's not running a little high or if you're just not like feeling like you can tackle the world and just make your restaurant a better place, uh, a better culture, a better place to work for your employees, uh, you listen again because you missed something. Uh, <laughs> Mike was awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, so honored to have you on the show and just so pumped up right now. Uh, words can't ex- explain my, just my energy. Um, you're so just influential it's it's great stuff and if you want to check out anything we talked about in today's episode just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 187 this is episode 187 we'll have all the links to the books and the resources and a recap of the discussion right there for you Tons of tons of information, tons of great advice in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you did enjoy it, let the folks on iTunes know. Give me a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, too. Uh, those go so far with helping my show get ranked and recognized. And thank you in advance if you do that for me. I'll give you a, a shout-out personally on the show if you do. And... Shoot me an email, Eric with a C at restaurantunstoppable.com. Always looking to hear from my listeners, ways I can make the show better. Uh, if, if I can connect you with somebody, if you have any questions about the products and services on the show, uh, I've been in contact with many of them. I do know a thing or two. I can help you make some decisions. Don't be afraid to reach out to me. Or maybe you just want a pick-me-up. Maybe you just need to get a little motivation, a little inspiration. I'll have a one-on-one talk with you. Man, I'll give you my number. We can talk. That's fine. I'm down. I love I love getting people pumped up. Um, so I'm here for you guys. Just reached out. And just tell me who you want to hear from. If there's somebody in your community who's just the boss, like the man, the gal, whoever, the, the person to talk to, I want them on the show. So let me know. I'll get them on the show. We'll learn together from them. And lastly, um, yeah, uh, just... Spread the word. Let's get this resource out there. It's free. Uh, It's a community of people just trying to be the best they can be. People who just love what they do. People who take this industry seriously, their passion, their love. Let's just build a community around Restaurant Unstoppable. If you could help me do that, if you could spread the word, wow, I'd be so incredibly grateful. Um, I'm already grateful to have you as listeners, but, I mean, let's get this thing growing. Let's get this thing bigger. All right, that's all I have for you today. Uh, like always, thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, peace out. Peace out.